0: Starbucks has almost become a third place in America between home and work for people to gather. Ten years ago, there was nowhere to go.
1: Former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Welcome to Schultz Week, here on Now I've Heard Everything, all this week featuring interviews with fascinating people I've met over the years named Schultz, and starting today with Howard Schultz. When three guys from San Francisco opened the first Starbucks in 1971 in Seattle, they probably had little idea of what the future would bring for their little shop selling roasted coffee beans. By 1986, there were still just six Starbucks locations, but then in 1987, they sold the company to Howard Schultz. And under his leadership, Starbucks grew to 46 locations by 1989. And in 1992, the company went public. Howard Schultz remained the CEO of the company until 2000. And then he was CEO again from 2008 to 2017. In 1997, Schultz wrote a book called Pour Your Heart Into It. And that's when I met him. Now, A couple of times during this interview, you will hear us refer to the tragedy in Georgetown. Just a few weeks before our interview, there was a vicious crime at a Starbucks location in the Georgetown section of Washington, D.C., in which three Starbucks employees were murdered. So here now, from the fall of 1997,
0: Howard Schultz. I wrote the book for two reasons. One, I wanted to demonstrate or illustrate that You can still build a great company in America that has a dynamic brand, that takes care of its customers, that's profitable, but most importantly, shares its success with its people. And Secondly, you're looking at a guy who grew up on the other side of the tracks in Brooklyn, New York, in federally subsidized housing projects. This is not a Hollywood story. This is a real guy who is living the American dream. It's alive and well. I wanted my book to try and provide some hope and inspiration for those people who perhaps don't believe in the American dream anymore. I couldn't help thinking. I mean,
1: certainly this is a business-oriented book. People, leaders, managers, CEOs will get a lot of wisdom from this. But it is also necessarily more or less autobiographical,
0: isn't it? In many ways because, you know, where I came from, a lot of the values and guiding principles that I've been able to incorporate in Starbucks have a lot to do with where I came from and what I saw. And the fact that I come from a working-class blue-collar family and I saw firsthand the plight, of a, of a family that did not have access to the American dream. There
1: is another book out now by another popular CEO, uh, who, uh, he says that you can't have a successful company unless it has core values, and those core values have to come from
0: the leadership. Uh, is that something that I, you would agree with? I could not agree with that more. And I think it, it, it's, it's more, more important than ever before, and I'll tell you why, is that the customer today has many, many choices. In fact, uh, we probably as business people have never been in a more competitive environment. If you've got a great product or a great service, that's one thing. But I think customers today want to really support the kind of company that they have an emotional connection to, whose values they respect. In our company, we're the only company in America to provide equity in the form of stock options and comprehensive health care to part-time workers. We haven't left our people behind. Our success is because of them. And I think our customers recognize that. And that's one of the great reasons why Starbucks has been successful. Not only that, but you know, I couldn't help thinking that over the
1: years, we as Americans have been, have been trained, if you will, in a nice way, trained to buy things that we didn't know we wanted. That we didn't know. You know, my parents were perfectly happy with Folgers. Right. And now, you know, now there's Frappuccino.
0: You know, we didn't know we wanted that. Right. Well, I think that what we've been able to do with coffee is create one, the best tasting coffee that that is possible, create a wonderful environment, and then there's people in that store who are passionately committed to try and provide you with the edu- education, the interest, and the excitement around coffee. And I think also in a very unique way, Starbucks has almost become a third place in America between home and work for people to gather. Ten years ago, there was nowhere to go. Now you have a Starbucks in your neighborhood or community, and it's a great place, great music, great environment, great coffee
1: as as demonstrated sadly enough by the the tragedy in Georgetown when people the community not it was sad enough that the people lost their lives but people felt like their personal domain had been violated somehow
0: i uh, you know i think that situation uh was obviously very very tragic for us but i was so uh impressed how the local merchants and the residents of Georgetown embraced uh the family of starbucks and uh I think that has a lot to do, again, with what I said earlier about the deep emotional connection that customers and the respective merchants have to the company.
1: The family of Starbucks is, is, a, is an interesting way you phrase it because that comes through in your book. You, it's, it's like right. you're writing about your
0: family. Well, uh, I think you know I wanted to make sure if I was ever in a position of responsibility that the people of Starbucks, is, and there's now over 25,000 employees who we call partners, were not left behind in a way because my dad was left behind. He never made more than $20,000 a year. He was a blue collar worker. He was beaten down by the system. I think he lost his self esteem because of the workplace. He was not respected. I did not want to see that happen to the people of Starbucks. It is a family.
1: Would you characterize yourself as an overachiever?
0: Uh, You know, I I guess I would. Uh, People ask me now what drives me. I've always had fear of failure. I think I still have it today. You know, I don't know. uh, So does Ted Turner. I mean, you know,
1: that's what makes people great, isn't it?
0: Well, you know, in a, in a, in a unique way, I, I think what I've tried to do is uh, uh, make a success for myself and for my, for my family, and in doing so, make sure I don't leave the people who do the work behind and put them first. And I think we've tried to do that at Starbucks, and that's the essence of our success.
1: See, it it, it fascinates, I I gotta be honest, it fascinates me how people like you and Bill Marriott, the other CEO I was just referring to a moment ago, who have so much, who have have made a great business success now in the late 1990s by, by building a company on, on treating its employees well. You look a hundred years ago how the fortunes were made. They made great fortunes. They made, amassed great wealth on the backs of their workers.
0: And I, but I think that is changing. I think uh, business leaders today, young CEOs, recognize more than ever before that building a business that lasts, building a sustainable enterprise, cannot happen by leaving your people behind. Uh, not only do the customers have choices, but the labor market is shrinking. People have many choices where to work today. And if you do not do not have a workforce that is inspired and is trusting in the management's decision, you're going to have a fracturing of the values, and in the end, the customer is going to walk away. It's just good business as well as the right thing to do.
1: And you also make the point that you've got to be honest with your employees and tell them if if something is going wrong, yeah. the, the frontline people, they're going to know it first. Right. They're going to know it anyway. And what, if, you, if you try to tell them, don't worry, yeah. that frost in
0: Brazil, no problem. Right. I think that's a very good point. I try and make that in the book that... It's not the end of the world for the business leaders of today to demonstrate vulnerability and to show your humanness, to show the character. When you've got concerns, you've got fears, I think it's okay to share with people what they are. And I think in our own company, people have rallied around when we've had a problem. And you saw that firsthand this past summer when we did have the tragedy in Georgetown. I think our company has gotten stronger as a result of the hurdles we'd have to go through and the way and the honesty we've we've dealt with the situations.
1: Or, or again, the calling mind, you tell the story in the book about the frost in Brazil.
0: You don't have Brazilian yeah. coffee. No, we, we buy no coffee from Brazil, but we had a Brazilian frost two years ago in which our cost of doing business, you can imagine, was 300% higher the next day. <laughs> and we told our people we had a really serious problem. We had a really, all of us rally around the issues of trying to, to grow the business in a different way. And our people were unbelievably inspired by what we have to do, primarily because they believe in what the company's trying to do. Yes, they're owners. Yes, they have health care. But there's a level of trust and confidence in a relationship that is very much like a family. And I'm not trying to sound so altruistic. But the truth of the matter is we would not be as successful as we are today by not sharing our success with our people. Our stock is up 800% from the day we went public in June of 1992. People five years ago said, you're going to dilute the integrity of the company if you give health care, if you give ownership to the rank-and-file uh, employee. I said, no. The essence of our success is by creating a link between shareholder value and value for the employee. And that's how we've been successful. And I think this is a new paradigm for America. And we've poured our heart into everything we've done. We've put people first. And I think the book really does illustrate you can build a great company in America by putting people first. And me specifically, you can come from the other side of the tracks and still have access to the American dream. After this
1: short break, why Starbucks turned its back on two things most similar companies rely on. Now, back to my 1997 interview with Howard Schultz. Why are there no Starbucks franchises?
0: Well, you know, early on, uh, I just felt that franchising was not right for us, that the relationship I wanted to have with the customer was most important to be able to be translated by people who really worked for the company and owned the company. And so all the stores are company owned. That's a real anomaly in mm-hmm. building a national retail company. I think that's also been a great part of our success. Well, it certainly
1: unless you walk into any Starbucks in the country and know that not only is it going to, I mean, you can walk in a, a McDonald's and sure. they pretty much resemble each yeah. other. You know, any Marriott Hotel, which are all, you know, not, most of them are not company owned. They're pretty similar, but there's, there's something special. You walk into a Starbucks, there is something unique, tangible. Yeah. Yes.
0: And I, and I think that speaks to the fact that we've tried to respect the individual who does the work. And we want to try and exceed the expectations that the customers have of us, and we've done that in a very unique fashion. I'm guessing premium coffee is something that, if
1: we had a serious economic downturn, is something that most people would decide, you know, we we could probably do without, you know, just you know, two or three bucks, you know, hey, I'll just I'll just go to Seven Eleven and get it for eighty nine cents, you know, the big slurp or whatever it is. You know, just how do you, you know, we're we're going to have at some point sure. in our economy a downturn. How how yeah. do you handle that?
0: Well, you know, I think. um if I may, respectfully disagree, <laughs> is that coffee, and especially coffee, is I think one of the few things that most people, even dur- during a downturn in the economy, still can afford. And it is gratifying, and it is something that you can really enjoy for yourself. It's your moment, it's your time. Unlike a brand new car for a dollar, a dollar and a half, you can still afford a great cup of coffee. Most people are not going to walk away from Starbucks. Plus, it's something you feel you 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 owe it to yourself. You feel good about it, yeah. And I, I think uh, there's a sense about the equity of the brand and the attachment to the company that people want to uh, be a part of. How did you decide uh, what other? I mean, because when you walk into a Starbucks,
1: it's not just coffee or coffee products, right? There. And there are other things. What do you decide? Because I'm sure there must be outside vendors coming to you all the time. Hey, we'd love to put this in every Starbucks in the country. Just put set right. it right there in the counter, and just people can get their Tic Tacs right at the same time.
0: <laughs> well. We turn down hundreds of things every year, products and companies who want to uh, associate themselves with us. What we've tried to do is not abuse the trust and the license the customer has and what we are offering. I will say, though, we are experimenting with some things that are doing quite well. We have the number one ice cream product in America right. today, uh, which is Starbucks Java chip and sold in supermarkets. Uh, despite the high f- fat content, people are loving it because of the flavor. We now have bottle frappuccino in supermarkets all over America. So we're beginning to branch out a little bit, but we're trying desperately to make sure we do it in a way that respects the confidence people have in what Starbucks stands for.
1: Well, you are, you are, you are capitalizing in a very uh, shrewd way on what Faith Popcorn had predicted, that there would be this backlash against all the, the, the health, you know, the, the low fat, the low cholesterol. You have to do everything in this very grim way to yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah sometimes we want a really fatty ice cream <laughs> and you want to indulge I think and you want to feel good and I think uh you know Starbucks ice cream we do have a low fat also but this, this is not selling as well people <laughs> want the real stuff uh and certainly you know frappuccino is a low fat item in terms of what it tastes like and and uh, the calorie content uh but i think what we've tried to do is is not take ourselves so seriously offer great products great service and most importantly respect our people along the way
1: you know for for a poor kid from brooklyn it must really warm your heart. And I don't mean this in a melodramatic way, but it really must must make you feel good when you walk down the street and people are carrying around Starbucks
0: cups. Yeah, it really does. I I think, uh, you know, I'm very proud. I think the one thing that uh, unfortunately has happened to me is that my dad, who's been such a big part of my life, passed away before the success happened. And I think in many ways, the values of our company are a legacy to him.
1: Is he there with you when you're working? Well, I with hope so. There?
0: I really hope so. I mean, do you, do because
1: you I, mean, I, I tell you, I was very close to my dad. He passed away about a year after your dad did. And I sometimes, yeah, gonna get melodramatic here. I mean, yeah. I sometimes feel while I'm standing here, while I'm yeah. talking to people, or while I'm doing the news, I sometimes feel he's here.
0: I uh I hope that's true with me. I think about him all the time. My mother's still with us, and she probably has uh, has about a thousand copies copies of the book today. And making sure <laughs> no uh, but it's been a great story for me and, and I'm inspired by uh, the future and really proud of all our people at Starbucks I mean I, I think that companies need to recognize that profit is just one of the things that a company must do and uh, long-term profits for us are deeply rooted in the philanthropic efforts that we've had in communities around the country. And, and we think there's a lot more we can do, and, and we want to continue to do as much as we can. You
1: know, if we think today, as, as I was alluding to a few minutes ago about the companies from 100 years ago, U.S. Steel and the big railroads and things like that, in the next century, will people look to Ben and & Jerry's and Marriott, perhaps, right. and Starbucks as the leaders of this, of our time?
0: Well, I think as long as companies continue to do well financially and if they can continue to do well financially and continue to do great work in the communities, as long as those companies continue to grow and prosper, we can be the new paradigm, the new model. And I think what we've been able to demonstrate is you can absolutely build a great brand. You can build profitable in your business and you can do it by people, by putting people first. If we're a model and if people can use our story, I mean, so be it. I'd be a, be a great, uh, be very proud of that. I think, you know, the interesting thing about our company, uh, in addition to what we've discussed is that we've built one of the great brands of our time without spending any money on advertising. And so this has been a product driven company, a customer driven company. I think it does demonstrate also that old fashioned word of mouth about a product, about a service, about a company is still possible. At a time during the information age and high technology, you can still build a company like ours in a very, very old fashioned. I know this sounds trite, but it's true. And I, and I think it does, it should inspire people that you don't need multi-million dollar advertising budgets to build your company and to get noticed.
1: Today, Starbucks has over 32,000 locations in over 80 countries. Howard Schultz will be 68 in July, and he and his family live in Seattle. And you can find easy Amazon links to Howard Schultz's book at our website, heardeverything.com. Have you subscribed yet to Now I've Heard Everything? We post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And you can find all of our past episodes at our website, heardeverything.com. And thanks for listening. Next time, as Schultz Week continues here on Now I've Heard Everything, my 1993 interview with the former United States Secretary of State, George Schultz. The big thing about the Reagan administration was that uh, the world was transformed during the time we were in office. The Cold War basically ended. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.